0: We are going to release our, our children for Children's Church now, so they're going to head out that way. It looks like Pam is ready to take them back that direction. So uh, if you've got a little one headed that way, they can go with them. We've also got an attended nursery uh, over there and a cry room in the back uh, if you need either of those options this morning. Uh, we are glad that you're here. It's good to see everybody today. If you're visiting with us, then we're, we're glad that you are here and, and hope that you are blessed by, by your time with us this morning. Uh, one bit of news to, to share with you this morning, uh, some of you, many of you hopefully have had a chance to meet Jillian Kinney, she is, is up here. Uh, Jillian has uh, uh, placed membership with us at the Vine and wants to be a part of our church family here, so we're excited about that. She's, she's been with us for a little while and, um, and said she, she loves this place, loves us, and wants to be a part of uh, this church family, so we're excited for that and happy to have her here uh, with us. Uh, if you have been with us for a while, uh, you may have, have heard me uh, talk about my, my sports fandom in the past and my continued defense, um, for instance, of Michael Jordan as the best basketball player and not LeBron James. It's something I've been uh, really hitting home hard with Isley, and so uh, Isley and I, because <laughs> I've told her, she's, someone's going to try to convince her otherwise someday, and these are things you have to know where you stand on. And so, Isley and I are, are driving down the road the other day, and so, it, you know, we we're having big conversations in the car, and so I, I decided to tell her, I said, Isley, uh, they're making a second Space, or a space Jam, or not. They're, they're redoing, making Space Jam, I don't know what it is, anyways, they're making another Space Jam movie. Right. right. <laughs> so, Isley says to me, is Michael Jordan going to be in it? And I said, I don't think so. And she said, well, then why are they calling it Space Jam? <laughs> Like, if Michael Jordan's in it, they shouldn't call it Space Jam, and it was the best I'd felt about my parenting in quite some time, <laughs> that I've, I've done something well, I have passed on good knowledge uh, to my daughter. Uh, so just keep that. It may not seem obviously connected to this next story. I'm going to try to connect them. Uh, you may have also known, that if you, again, if you've been with us, that, that I have an incredibly weak stomach and, and the sight of blood is not something I do well with. And so I remember as a kid, uh, one of my first memories of really, truly being appreciative of Jesus was when I, I realized that the people before Jesus had to kill and sacrifice animals and we don't have to anymore. And I thought, that's a guy I can get behind. <laughs> If he, if he keeps me from having to slit a goat's throat and watch the blood pour out on the altar, then that's my guy and that's all I needed to know. We'll, we'll just head down this path. And so the scripture we're going to look at today, we're going to kind of end with this idea that, that through Jesus and because of Jesus, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. It's the same thought I had back when I was a kid, and I thought for a while that that, that was just kind of a kid-like way to approach Jesus, but I, I've come to think it's, it's probably a pretty good way to approach Jesus, because this, this is a hard idea to truly grasp and internalize that sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary because of the work that Jesus has done. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, some of us are still trying to sacrifice For our sins. Some of us are trying to atone for our own sins. Cover our own sins. Do something to sacrifice for our own sins. It's like you might say. We're trying to remake Space Jam. When that has already happened. Um, That's already been taken care of. There's no need to keep redoing it. Right? The sacrifice has already been made. The perfect Space Jam has already been made. There's no reason to bring LeBron into it sacrifice for sins has already been made. We don't need to keep trying to sacrifice anymore. Uh, So that's where we're going to end up. Uh, And this fits in with this series that we've been doing uh, uh, called Refresh, where we started just with kind of a look at at this theme of water throughout scripture um, and, and how water starts out as kind of this dark chaotic force that we see throughout Scripture, but then we see the redemptive power of God um, and how God actually brings salvation and redemption, oftentimes through literal water in, in the story of Scripture, and how that then plays in to the narrative of baptism in the New Testament. And so that kind of is a, is a very brief overview of where we've been, and we're going to kind of continue uh, that, that thread then of looking at that with baptism and baptism connected to forgiveness this morning. Uh, and so, before we get into that, um, I want to make mention of a couple of things. One, your, your bulletin was was stuffed with info today. If you were picked one of those at the back, if you didn 't get one that was stuffed with stuff, uh, there 's these extra sheets on the coffee bar over there there 's plenty of extra ones. Um, and so this orange sheet has a bunch of scriptures um, that I thought about talking about today, but that I was like oh, we 're not going to have time for all that. <laughs> So these fit, if you want kind of background info, I'm going to make some comments at the beginning, and if you want to see, okay, where where in scripture uh, does it talk about those things that I'm going to mention here in just a minute, this is it. Um, And so this is where you're going to see some of those themes mentioned. We're primarily going to be um, in Hebrews uh, in just a little bit, but this is some some scriptures that just give a little more background uh, on some of the stuff that that I'm going to mention here in a minute. So you can hold on to that, take that with you, um, look over those on your own later. The other sheet is this blue sheet. Uh, our, this series is going to end next week. And so what we're going to do then, starting next week and the week after that, we're going to have a combined adult class where we sort of uh, engage this topic of, of baptism conversationally in a class setting. Um, and so if you've got questions about baptism that you would like to see us discuss there, uh, we would love to hear those. Write it on here. You can put it in the collection plate this morning. If you already know your question, you can give it to me or one of the elders later. You can email or text me a question. Uh, We had a Wednesday night discussion about baptism a little more than a year ago for a couple of Wednesdays. But but we wanted to do it as a way to close out this series, uh, partly because we know you may have questions and maybe a way to kind of tie up some of this conversation about baptism. Um, But these sermons also really intentionally have not got into some of the logistics or technical stuff about baptisms because we're kind of taking this this arch this narrative that we see of it through scripture. So if you've got a question about something uh, that that we haven't covered, you're welcome to write it here. You're welcome to ask me personally because I think there are some of these things that that take place better uh, in conversation. So that's a little bit about those two sheets. Um, last week we really got into this this the idea of, of what Peter talks about with baptism in Acts 2.38. And so to remind you of that, this is what Peter says in, 2.38, in Acts 2.38. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So last week we focused on this idea of baptism as connection to the Holy Spirit. Uh, But as I said, today I want to focus on on the previous part of that and baptism and its connection to our forgiveness. And so I think especially um, this is another place where maybe our our backgrounds, our faith backgrounds, our our faith traditions that we came from may influence us because for some people that probably sounds very natural that that baptism and and forgiveness have always been kind of connected and, and part of the same narrative. But for others this may seem a little bit out of sorts in a way, uh, because you may be thinking, wait, I, I thought we were saved by, by grace through our faith, which means I would be forgiven uh, because of God's grace um, expressed to me in, in Jesus, right? And so if, if that's true, what's the connection between baptism and forgiveness there? If, if my sins are forgiven by, by grace, not by something that I do, uh, then, then what is baptism's connection to that? And so I think it's helpful then to view baptism in and of itself as an act of God's grace. Because as you'll see in those scriptures, the, the first scripture there is, is, is from Ephesians, where Paul really lays out this idea of, of the idea that we are saved by, by grace through our faith. Then the next few scriptures uh, are about baptism's connection to forgiveness and again, we're not going to go through those, but one of those that I do want to mention briefly is that the, the Romans 6 passage, which is really kind of ground zero for Paul's theology of baptism, an interesting thing that Paul does there is, and he, that he does elsewhere, is he really envisions sin as, as sort of um, a new form of slavery, not to make light of either of those concepts, but, but for the Israelites, slavery was a part of their history, and so Paul connects sin back to slavery, and says that, uh, that, that your sinful nature then is basically like your, your slave master. And so he says the, the way to be redeemed from that and to come out of that is through the blood of Jesus. And just as the Israelites were saved from slavery through water, and their slave masters die in the water of the sea, so too we put to death the master of our what what is keeping us enslaved to sin and our sinful nature dies in the waters of baptism, and we come out of the other side of that with this new life. And so Paul is continuing to go back to this narrative that we've seen play out through all of the Old Testament up to now. And so, But but we see this idea continue of, of baptism and forgiveness being connected. And as I said, I think it's helpful then to see baptism... Um, as an act of God's grace. It's something that we receive, it's not something that we do. Um, Paul specifically, directly says this at one point in Acts, that's at the bottom one of that sheet in Acts 19, but you can see this indirectly talked about elsewhere in the way that the writers talk about baptism as as something that we receive, not as something that we do. And two things that I think are important to consider in light of that uh, one is that I think viewing it as, as an act of God's grace towards me helps me to not see baptism as a work or as something that I am doing as a way of earning my redemption, forgiveness, salvation. Um, it is instead a, an act of God's grace uh, toward me. Uh, instead of, of it being something that I'm doing to earn salvation or eternal life or forgiveness, Uh, It is instead this picture of me being immersed into the story, the person, the lordship of Jesus. And in doing so, I am on the receiving end of God's grace in its various forms. The other thing that I think is important then to consider in light of that is that in order for me to receive something, uh, someone else has to give. If if I'm going to receive something, someone has to be the one giving of that. Uh, and so that then is, is the kind of the thought that I want us to carry with us into Hebrews this morning. So we're going to be in Hebrews 9 and 10. If you want to turn there, and we're going to read a lot of this because um, a while back we went through a, a whole sermon series on Hebrews, which basically reads as one really long sermon. And so a lot of it is connected. And so we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. And so as we go, I'm going to kind of pause uh, a few times as we go through it and make some comments. We're going to pick up at the beginning of, of Hebrews 9. We're going to read all of Hebrews 9 and then a good chunk of Hebrews 10 as well. And so I want you to, to picture as we go through this, what the Hebrews writer is going to do is lay out this picture of, of the tabernacle as it existed under the Old Covenant in, in, the new t- in the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament, uh, and then to, to point out what the, the new covenant looks like, how Jesus fits into that, and what the new tabernacle would be then. So We've got these two images at play here, uh, just to kind of keep in our heads as we go through it. So, Hebrews 9. Uh, now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the Holy Place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark, were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. So we'll follow the exa- advice and example of the Hebrew's writer. We won't discuss those things in detail now either. That's enough of a picture for it. There's a tabernacle, basically like a big tent. It was set up in this way. It was important to the Israelite people. You can read all about it in the Old Testament later, but that's enough for now. I like that phrase. We can't discuss these things in detail now. Like, let's just, let's move on. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of The people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. In other words, everyone isn't invited into the most holy place, into the the true kind of dwelling of God's presence, only the high priest, only once a year, and only with blood. That's a lot of stipulations. So the full access to this has not been opened. In other words, this is, this is not the full realization of what is to come. This is the idea that the, the writer here is setting up. Continuing then, this is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices were being, uh, being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and ceremonial washings, external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Okay, we're going to pause for a second. Uh, if you were to come in my office, you would find right now a disorganized mess. Uh, you would also find some pictures uh, spread across my office. Uh, I have come to realize lately, none of them contain banner, poor little guy. <laughs> So it's been a while since I've updated my pictures, so I need to do that soon before he develops a complex about it. Uh, but some of them have Ashley, some of them have Isley, Ashley and Isley. Uh, some of them uh, have large family photos like this one. Uh, the only problem with this large family photo is that I know none of the people in this photo because um, this is the stock photo that this frame came with. <laughs> And so people have come into my office and been like, who is that large group of people who d- does not contain you? And like, I have no idea. It's <laughs> and so my mom gave me this frame. I've never put a picture in it. And so it's just been sitting in my office with this picture in it. And so I kind of feel bad throwing out the picture now because I feel, I feel a connection to these, <laughs> to these people. They look like a nice family. Um, at some point, I think, a time will come where I put one of our family's pictures in this photo frame. That's been the general idea <laughs> for about a year now. Um, at some point of, of, uh, that, that will come where I'm going to put a picture of our family in here. At that time, this picture will be meaningless to me. It's already meaningless to me, um, but it has a place. It's, it functions sort of a role of being a placeholder of sorts until this this picture that I've just been delaying and getting <laughs> uh, has its place here. Once I have a picture of my actual family in this frame, I'll have no need for this picture. It's just a placeholder. I'll just throw it out. Um, it's, it's only an illustration of something that points to the, the full realization of that that's coming later. And, and, and I think in some ways, that's what the Hebrews writer is saying. All this, this, this stuff that's from our past It had a purpose at one point. It was important. Um, It it showed something about the the, the purpose of all this stuff around it. Um, But on this side of Jesus, we just don't have a need for it anymore. Uh, And so you can just go ahead and and, and disregard that. Um, Because it's an illustration. It's something that points toward something else. It's a placeholder of sorts applying until the time of the new order. So then the writer starts talking about this, this new order then that is to come, or that has now come now uh, on this side of Christ at least. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation." He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences. Uh, Notice the contrast there. The old sacrifices could only ceremonially clean you externally. Uh, But Christ now comes along and, and he says he cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that He has died as a ransom to set free from the sins, uh, to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it, because a will is in force only when someone has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to the people, he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Uh, again, in order for someone to receive, someone has to give. In order for forgiveness to come, uh, the, there is this requirement of, of the shedding of blood. Uh, in, in the Old Testament, in, in Hebrew, the word, uh, in the Jewish understanding, the word for atonement, that we say is atonement, literally meant a covering. It was a covering for something else. Uh, and, and to go along with that, uh, as we've talked about before, and we talked about when we went through this Hebrew series, if you were here with us for that, Jewish people really saw blood as containing the, the life of a being. The, the life, the essence of, of life was in the blood of a person or an animal. Uh, and, to, and so to shed blood was really to give of one's life. And so as Jesus sheds his blood for us, his blood, his life covers over us and atones for our sins. And so that is why when, when Paul talks about us putting on Christ in baptism and clothing ourselves with Christ in baptism, I think he sees it as this covering and his life covering ours uh, in, in the waters of baptism and in the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And as we'll see, as you'll see in some of those scriptures, baptism is this participation in the resurrection of Jesus and participation in, in all of that narrative. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So continuing then in, in 23. Uh, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. In other words, the the goats, the bulls, all those things. Uh, But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have, had to offer, would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin and, sa- and by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sa- sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him so repeatedly we see this idea of of jesus doing away with sin and repeatedly we see this tied to our freedom from sin that it's not that that jesus's blood simply releases me from sort of this idea of being punished for my sin. It's not that he releases me from sort of the ramifications of what, what the sinful nature does within us, but that I actually have freedom from that and am and, and empowered and equipped to leave my sinful nature and rise to live in this new reality of his life and his spirit. It propels us forward to new life. And, and we're gonna, that's kind of where we're going to end up next week. Um, because this idea that we are forgiven through Jesus once and for all doesn't mean that anything we do from now on doesn't matter. It just means that we have a different perspective with how we go into that. Uh, so now, skipping ahead to chapter 10, verse 11. The first 10 verses of that chapter are good too, but we can kind of skip ahead a little bit. The writer, uh, he or she, continues now this thread of of contrasting the priest and Jesus by saying day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, this priest being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds... Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And this is where we started. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Uh, One of the things that really stood out to me going through this and even looking at some of the other scriptures this week is this idea that repeatedly, even just here in Hebrews, the writer comes back to this idea that that something about sacrifice is done to clear the conscience of the one who has sinned. Uh, and I think typically we think about sacrifice and atonement and being forgiven, all of that, uh, as almost always kind of everything is on God's end. In other words, God is, is holy and he is so holy and, and perfect and loving that something has to happen within me to be worthy to come into his presence. And so I need this sacrifice of Jesus in order to kind of cover me and make me holy so that I can be welcomed into the presence of God. Um, and there's, there's certainly something to the idea of Jesus making us holy, and it is his righteousness that we take on. But here, as it's talked about here, there seems to be a high level of, of our participation being to cleanse our conscience to come before God. That there is something about sin, and when I am held back by my sinful nature, inhibits me in my conscience from coming before God and, and fully being, uh, feeling welcomed and coming before Him in His presence. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, part of what holds us back is that at times, each of us are still trying to make sacrifices for our own sins we are still holding on to those things and we're still bringing things to the altar thinking, I've got to sacrifice this at the altar so that I can get rid of my sinful nature and be welcomed before God. Uh, and so sometimes I think what it is that we sacrifice at that altar is, is our own worth and value. Because we tell ourselves, I am unworthy. Uh, I, I, have, I don't have enough value or worth to, to be in the presence of God. And so I've got to sacrifice my worth and value in order to come into the most holy place. Uh, but there is no longer sacrifice for sin necessary because of Jesus. And so when I sacrifice my worth and value at this altar of forgiveness, all I end up doing um, is, is end up leaving myself uh, sort of feeling shameful and unworthy. Um, and it creates distance between me and God instead of bringing me closer to God. Uh, sometimes I think what we offer up at this altar is other people's sins. That we tell ourselves, if I can convince myself that other people's sins are bigger than mine, if I can show God, look at how, how much these other people are sinful, then I can say, okay, now I am welcomed into the presence of God because my sins aren't as big as theirs. Uh, but all that ends up doing is leaving us prideful and overcome with this uh, inflated sense of, of who I am, uh, which isn't right either. So we can go to both extremes. But the writer here is telling us, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. So quit trying. (laughs) Uh, The blood of Jesus is designed to clear our conscience. Uh, As much as it is designed to be this bridge back to God, it's designed to clear our conscience. And, And it's God's way of saying, look, I want to bring you back. I I want to bring you back into a fully restored relationship with me. Come and enjoy it. And so, we close then with this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, now listen, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. We have this this confidence to come before God with full assurance of a clean and clear conscience. Uh, Elsewhere, Peter writes that baptism is not about the removal of dirt from the body, but it is instead the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. And so just as Christ gave of himself on the cross, trusting that the Father would raise him to life again, we too give of our lives and put our lives in the hand of Christ in baptism, trusting him to raise us to new life free from our sinful nature, and then living into this confidence and full assurance uh, of our place in the kingdom. We are called then to emerge from the waters with confidence in our standing before God, assured of our place in His presence, and washed in the life-giving blood of the Savior. That, I think, is the power of forgiveness. It's the hope of grace, and it's the beauty of baptism. And so as we prepare now Uh, to share in communion together this morning, we are reminded that Jesus invites us to the table of fellowship instead of to the altar of sacrifice because sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Christ is, is seated having completed the work of dealing with sin, and from that seated position, he invites us then to share in the meal of the sacrifice he has already made. So may we gather in confidence and hope, and peace this morning as we remember our Savior in communion. And as we look ahead to our communion meal, we're going to stand and sing one more song together as we sing and remember uh, the sacrifice and the work of Jesus. um, We'll do that together in song, and then we'll share in communion together. So would you please stand as we sing? prayer of confession together and then share in communion. I'll pray the parts in white and then together I will pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. You may be seated.